You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. We have a lot of people who had to stay home today because of the cold, and many of you are on Zoom with us. Uh, I could see a picture of some of you a few minutes ago. Uh, welcome, glad that you're with us, and uh, thank you for, for joining us on Zoom on this uh, cold day, and, and thank you for those of you who are, are here. It's good to be with you to study God's Word. Have you ever seen someone baptized into Christ, and as soon as they come up out of the water, they're just overjoyed? I remember this one man when he was baptized he came up out of the water, and he just threw his fists up in the air like, yes, like he won, won the championship or something. It's, it's done. I belong to God now. When I was baptized, I was not so exuberant. I, I kept, <laughs> kept subdued, I guess, calm, uh, but I was sure relieved. I had been putting off giving my life to God for a while, and now I had finally done it. God had washed my sins away, and I was his child, and I was, I was very glad and very relieved. It's hard to describe to an outsider to our faith in just a few words why we have so much joy in our baptism and in following Jesus. We're, we're forgiven. It's a great starting place. We're adopted as children of God. We're, we become part of his family and we're welcomed into the family of God's people. We don't have to be afraid of God anymore. Do you remember being afraid of God? We don't have to be scared of the judgment. And we don't have to hide from God because of our guilt. And because we're God's children, we know that he will be with us through the course of our lives. And he helps us. Life may still be hard sometimes, but we never have to walk that hard path alone. God is with us. He strengthens us. He guides us. And he gives us joy just by being himself and loving us and being with us in life. And we're born into this new life at our baptism, and we experience it every day after that as long as we keep walking with Jesus, walking in the light as he is in the light, as Dennis shared with us a minute ago from 1 John. And so we have this great, joyful message, this light, to use our word from last week, that we want to share with other people. And when we do, and when we see them come to Christ just full of joy, we absolutely share in that joy with them. Now, if you follow Jesus, do you remember who first taught you about Jesus? Can you remember who it was? I bet you remember exactly who it was, right? They were important in your life. It was a friend. It was your minister. It was your parents, maybe. Maybe it was uh, not just one person, but a whole church. Or if you moved around a bunch, maybe it was a few churches. Whoever it was, how far back can you trace your faith? Who taught you and who taught the people who taught you? And who taught those people? How far back can you trace that? I can trace my faith back to, if I remember correctly, from the work that my aunt has done in our family uh, history. I think we can trace our faith back to the mid-1800s when I think it was my, my mother's father's grandmother became a Christian. And we have that documented. She was about 15 years old when she became a follower of Jesus. 
And we think her parents might have become Christians around the same time as well. And so the thought struck me the other day how amazing it is that someone, really centuries worth of someone's, brought the message of Jesus from ancient Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago where our faith started, brought it across Europe over the centuries, across the Atlantic Ocean, to North America, to Kentucky and Ohio, where that branch of my family lived at that time, and shared the light of Jesus with my ancestors, who then passed it down to me. And that's just an amazing process to think about, and all the more amazing because at the beginning, the message of Jesus didn't really leave Jerusalem. It kind of stayed there and hung out there for a while. Best we can tell, it just stayed in Jerusalem for the first two or three years of the church. Now, that's not what Jesus had in mind for the gospel. Just keep it in Jerusalem and let anyone who's interested come to you to learn about me. Now, what Jack just shared with us about the Great Commission tells us that Jesus had in mind what he told his followers there after he had given his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our forgiveness and then had been raised from the dead. Let's read the the Great Commission here in Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Once Jesus had finished his work of teaching the Jewish people and leading them back to God, after he had offered his life for payment for our sins on the cross, after he had died and God raised him from the dead, God exalted him and gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. God made him king of kings and lord of lords. And so with his authority from God, Jesus sent his followers out to offer the whole world his forgiveness and that life-changing new relationship with God. He called his followers to make disciples of all nations, bring people from every land, every ethnic group, every culture, every language to follow Jesus and to baptize them in the name of the full Godhead, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he commanded us. But there's that little two-letter word that Jack pointed out to us a minute ago. It's a, it's a bit of a shock, especially for uh, Jews. And at the beginning, the whole church was, was Jewish. Because throughout the history of Israel, God really had never sent his people out to evangelize the world. Israel was to be a light to the nations. The book of Isaiah, the prophet, talks about that. But more in the sense that the world would see God shining in Israel and through Israel, and they would be drawn to God like moths to a light bulb on a dark night. And in the light of the Jewish people, of God at work in them, people would find God. 
And so they were to be a light more in that sense than in the sense of the Jews going out as missionaries to the world, taking their light out to people everywhere. Up to the time of Jesus, God focused more on building up Israel until the Messiah came. And then even during Jesus' ministry, Jesus only sent his apostles out to the people of Israel, not yet to the Gentiles. After his resurrection, though, that changed. Now, with full authority from God, Jesus offered salvation from God's judgment to the whole world. To the whole world, he offered God with all that hope and joy and direction in life that come from knowing God. And so here, that little two-letter word, it's so simple. Go. So simple. Actually, in Greek that Matthew wrote in, the word that he uses there is an 11-letter word, peruthentes. Nice Greek word. means go, or more specifically, the way it's, the way it's spelled, going. So, as you're going, make disciples and baptize and teach people. And so maybe it, maybe it wasn't so simple. Because for the first two or three years of the church, the gospel, as far as we can tell, stayed in Jerusalem. There may have been some Christians who went back to their homes in other cities, other places. But it's not mentioned in Scripture. As far as we can tell, the gospel stayed there in Jerusalem. The church grew to be something like fifteen to 20,000 people at one point, we think. But it didn't spread. Jesus had said, go and make disciples of all nations. But his followers stayed. Yet somehow, the gospel eventually got to my ancestors and to you or your ancestors. Somehow it broke out of Jerusalem. Somehow it spread across the ancient Roman Empire and North Africa and the Middle East and from there around the world. How did that happen? The church was strong in Jerusalem. It was united. It was learning from the 12 apostles. It was growing. It might have had its hands full ministering to its own people and the residents of Jerusalem. Anyone who wanted to learn about Jesus could come to them. It might have had no reason to spread. But then something terrible happened. Terrible, but God used it for good to accomplish the Great Commission in a way the church had not yet attempted. One day, two or three years after Jesus' resurrection, a powerful teacher in the church, a man named Stephen, was arrested for teaching about Jesus there in Jerusalem. And after a speedy trial that was cut off before it was actually done, Stephen was condemned and dragged outside of Jerusalem and stoned to death. And then here's what happened. From the book of Acts, chapter 7, starting in verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. <clears throat> Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria 
and proclaim the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. This man, Stephen, powerful teacher in the church at that time, was killed. He became the first Christian martyr. And on that day, Acts tells us, new persecution was launched against the church in Jerusalem. And most of the believers fled the city. And a man named Saul aggressively searched out Christians to arrest them and throw them into prison, destroying the church. Except that instead of being destroyed, the church grew. Everywhere the believers scattered, they took their faith with them. And they shared their faith in Jesus. Philip, for example, who, like Stephen, had been a leader in the Jerusalem church, went to Samaria, a section of Israel, right in the middle of of Israel, and taught about Jesus to the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were people who followed their own style of Judaism. They considered themselves Israelites, but not Jews. There was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. They had hated each other for four or 500 years by this time. I don't know if it was courage or desperation that drove Philip to go to the Samaritans. Maybe he thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to teach these people about Jesus. Or maybe he just thought this would be a good place to hide from persecution. We don't know what his reasoning was, but either way, he taught the Samaritans about Jesus. And he worked miracles that proved that his message about Jesus dying for us and being raised from the dead was true. And many people believed. First, they were filled with joy because of all the miracles of healing and of driving demons out of possessed people that Philip performed. Then they believed the good news of the kingdom of God, and they were baptized into that kingdom. And suddenly the church, which up to this time had been entirely Jewish, now included Samaritans. How did this happen? Jesus had said, go. And finally, his church sort of forced into it, went. After his work with the Samaritans, Philip went again, skipping down a little bit here to Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This time it wasn't persecution that caused Philip to go, but direct instruction from God, first through an angel and then from the Holy Spirit. God knew where to send Philip to find someone eager to hear the good news. The Ethiopian had been worshiping in Jerusalem. Now he was reading the scroll of the prophet Isaiah on his way home. And he had questions about what he was reading, which just happened to be one of the Bible's clearest prophecies about Jesus. And so Philip joined him, and the man asked Philip to explain what he was reading. And and Philip explained how that prophecy had been fulfilled in Jesus. And the Ethiopian believed and asked if anything might stand in the way of his being baptized. Maybe he wondered if someone from Africa could follow Jesus or if a eunuch would be accepted by God and could follow Jesus. Of course, Jesus in the Great Commission had sent his followers to make disciples from all nations. So, of course, the Ethiopian could be baptized and follow Jesus that day. And Philip had the honor of baptizing him. And then the Holy Spirit suddenly took Philip away to preach in other places, but the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. He had come to share in the same awesome joy that we have, knowing Jesus, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, God's Messiah, the Son of God, and all the blessings that he brings to us. And so the church, which very recently had only been in Jerusalem, so far as we know, suddenly was all over Israel, Wherever the Christians had scattered, and wherever they went, they were sharing their faith. And now the church included both Jews and Samaritans, and it included at least one person in Ethiopia. And this was the start of that process by which the Christian faith moved across the continents and beyond the oceans and came even to my ancestors and me and to all of us here today. Because Jesus said, go. And his people went. And you and I are the beneficiaries of their going almost 2,000 years later and on the other side of the planet. Now there's a tension in this story. And the tension is this. Jesus said, go. But at first, the church didn't. Why didn't they? What took them so long? Well, it's just our human nature, right? When we have a good thing going, we don't want it to change. 
The church in Jerusalem was doing well. They had the 12 apostles right there teaching them everything that Jesus had taught them. They had enough people to hold a lot of influence in the city. Why would you want to scatter those people and lose that influence? They were at peace with each other. The church was healthy and strong. Anyone who wanted to learn about Jesus could come to them and join them. They had a good thing going. Why mess that up? But God wanted something better. It's kind of like raising kids. You love having them in the home, but you know that someday they need to get out on their own. That's how they develop the skills uh, of adulthood, right? As they get out on their own, stretch their wings a bit, and grow into adulthood. And some of them are more ready to go when the time comes than others are. And some have to be nudged or maybe even pushed out of the nest. Well, the church was never meant to stay only in Jerusalem forever. A great church it might have been there in Jerusalem. But it had not yet fulfilled Jesus' mission for his church. And maybe that was okay for a while. Maybe that was even good for a time. Maybe the church needed that time to develop and mature in its faith there in Jerusalem before it spread out to the rest of the world. But at the proper time, like the parent bird that knows it's time for the baby bird to learn to fly, God pushed his church out of the nest. He used a tragedy, something that our enemy, the devil, meant for evil to destroy the church, the death of Stephen, and the persecution that followed. But out of that tragedy, out of the church's displacement and fear, God brought new growth to his kingdom. Wherever his people went, followers of Jesus became seeds of faith for the communities that they found themselves in. They preached the gospel, even though most of them were not you know, professional preachers themselves. They were just normal, faithful believers witnessing about Jesus. We as human beings have the same tendency as the early church had to want to hold on to what we have and where we're at right now if what we have is good. But staying where we're at with what we have today might not fulfill Jesus' great commission. Is there a way for us to go in obedience to Jesus' command without him having to push us out of the nest? Is there a way for us to willingly go and share the message of the kingdom of God with all the nations so they can share in the same joy we have in Christ? This sermon series we began last week is focusing on how we can let our light shine to other people, how we can be uh, excellent witnesses for Jesus just in, just in everyday life, just living as, as God's people. How can we share the light of God with other people? We're looking at tips and techniques from, uh, from God's word about how we can do that. So let me briefly share three ideas from these stories about Philip, three ways that we can go in obedience to Jesus' command in the Great Commission. First, go wherever life takes you. Go wherever life takes you. God doesn't always speak to us and say, go here or go there. Sometimes, even as he guides our lives, he lets us choose which way we're going to go. Or he lets us go wherever life just happens to take us. Philip found himself in Samaria among the Samaritans. How did he end up there? Did he go there on purpose so that he could preach there? Or was that maybe where he thought he might be safe from persecution? We don't know. But whatever the reason, he took the opportunity 
to share the message of Jesus there. To use our terminology from last week, Philip, as he healed people, did good deeds to shine his light. And then he shared with those people the message of Jesus, and many people responded. Sometimes life is going to force you to go, like persecution forced the church to scatter out of Jerusalem. Your job gets transferred to another city, or maybe from another city to Yakima. Be a witness for Jesus wherever life takes you. You might have to move in order to take care of a family member who's sick. Be a witness for Jesus in that new place. Maybe you'll decide to become a missionary. That's great. Philip crossed cultural boundaries to share Jesus with both the Samaritans and the Ethiopian. We should too. We should cross those cultural boundaries to share the message of Jesus. There's no group of people on this planet that Jesus doesn't want his people to go to, to invite them into his kingdom. You may have to move somewhere for college. Go be a witness for Jesus there. Our sister church in Great Falls, Montana, knows that since there's an Air Force base there in Great Falls, the church is fairly often going to have uh, new, uh, new, new people, new families move in and stay for maybe two years, and then they'll be transferred out again. So they know that a lot of their church members, they have two years with them, and then, and then they're gone. And so they take those two years to intentionally train these people up so that wherever they move next, they will be a bright light for the Lord there. Wherever life takes you, go as an intentional witness for Jesus. Second, go wherever God specifically sends you. Because sometimes he, he will send you to a specific place or a specific group of people. I believe God sent me and Jenny here 20 years ago. I think he's made that very clear uh, a couple of ways. One, through a really smooth hiring process back in 2003, and also at the same time through no other churches calling me when I was looking for work. Seemed like a sign to me. And through you, God has confirmed that he has wanted us here for the past 20 years, for which we are very grateful. If you get the impression that God wants you to go to a certain place or be working with certain people, go give that a shot. See if that is where God wants you. An angel appeared to Philip and told him very directly, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's like saying, go out on, on uh, I-82 and stop at this rest stop and wait there, right, until, until this person comes by. And then the Holy Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. It's like God saying to you at the rest stop, go, go to that truck. Go talk to that guy driving the truck. God is not always so specific and rarely so direct with us. And of course, it was the same way in Philip's time. What happened to him was exceedingly rare, even in that time. But when God wants you to go to a certain place or work with a certain person or group of people, he has ways of letting you know that. He will let you know uh, to go. If you get the impression then that God wants you to be a missionary to the people of Indonesia, look into that. See if God will open that door for you. If you get the impression that God wants you to be a friend to a person who doesn't know him yet so that maybe through you they'll come to know Jesus, go be the best friend you can be. Be genuine in that relationship and, and with great gentleness, be a witness for Jesus. 
Philip obeyed the angel and obeyed the Holy Spirit, and the Ethiopian became a child of God that day. Who knows what lives might be touched because we went where God sent us. Wherever God specifically sends you, go and be a witness for Jesus. Third and finally, going does not always mean going far away. When Philip baptized the Ethiopian and then the Spirit took Philip away, where did the Ethiopian go? Presumably he went back home, right? Back to Ethiopia. Acts just says he went on his way. By the 300s AD, there were vibrant churches in Ethiopia. And both the Christian teacher Irenaeus around the year 180 and later the Christian historian Eusebius around 325 reported a traditional belief that this Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8 had started the church in Ethiopia, that he had gone home and shared his faith. Now, we don't know for sure if they were right. We don't know where they got their information. But it's not hard to imagine that this man, so full of joy because he had become a follower of Jesus the Messiah, went home and told his relatives, told his friends, told anyone who would listen. It's not hard to imagine that a church might have grown out of his witnessing to his new faith and then spread from there across Ethiopia over the years. My point here is that sometimes the place where God calls us to go is not far away, but right here where we live and spend our time with our own families, among our own friends, around our own neighbors, right here in our own community. And in that case, going is a lot less about a place or a distance and a lot more about a mindset. Are we looking for opportunities to share our faith? Are we inwardly focused, happy with how things are, like the church in Jerusalem might have been? Or even as we are inwardly focused in loving one another, are we also outwardly focused, looking for opportunities to share our joy in the good news of Jesus with others? In our culture, nearly everyone has heard about Jesus, but do they really know what it means to follow him? Are we willing to be intentional examples for the people around us of what it means to follow Jesus? Are we willing to go and be a part of their lives as representatives of Jesus? Are we learning and growing so that when the time comes and someone asks us, like the Ethiopian asked Philip, can you explain this for me? We'll be ready. Some of us God will send far away. Some of us God will send right here in our own city. Wherever he sends us, let us be ready to go. To go and share the good news of Jesus and all the joy that comes with that blessing. And as you go, whether far or near, may God bless you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice, for the great joy that we have in our hope in him. Thank you for the new life that you give us through Jesus and through your Holy Spirit who lives in us. Dear Lord, please do not hesitate to send us wherever you want us to go. Call us, O oh God, 
to go far away to serve you. Call us to go next door to our neighbor or to a family member, wherever you want us to go, Lord, to be uh, light in their lives and to be witnesses for Jesus. Dear Lord, we pray that, that when they are ready to hear about Jesus, that you'll give us the words to speak and help us to know what to say and what to do. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in such a way that when we uh, speak about you, that uh, people will see integrity in our lives and, and we'll find our message about Jesus credible because of the way we've lived. We pray, Lord, that we might be good representatives for you and so fulfill the, uh, the Great Commission, that we might go into all the nations and, and draw people to Jesus. Dear Lord, bless your church here and around the world that we may become more and more skilled at uh, obeying the Great Commission and fulfilling it. Bless us in this, Lord, and guide us. We love you, we give you thanks, and we want to do uh, exactly what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.